This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's Wednesday. That means we have Courtney Astolfi on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Courtney as well as Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. Got some interesting stuff to talk about. Let's get to it. We have talked plenty about Ohio's Republican lawmakers doing kooky things, but this is a new standard of kooky. How does the Ohio Senate explain a law it is pushing through that would deem natural gas green energy and allow just about anyone who wants to to drill for gas or do fracking in state parks? Laura, natural gas, fossil fuel, green energy. I mean, there's a possibility under this bill that even coal could be considered green energy. It's astounding, really. And when I heard from our state house editor, Rick Ruin, that this was coming up, I was stunned. There was no, well, very little public notice on this bill. I had never heard of it. And actually is an add-on to a bill about poultry. So I'm not sure how they decided to do this, but it would prohibit municipalities from banning the use of certain pesticides in their borders as well. Change the legal definition of green energy. This is a term, obviously, that refers to power derived from sun, wind, or water to include natural gas. It's mostly methane, a powerful heat-trapping greenhouse gas. It's formed over millions of years underground, freed via drilling into the earth, and causes climate change. But hey... But before we get to the other parts of the bill, let's let's talk about that for a minute, though. That is positively Orwellian. That is saying the opposite of what's true. And just because the Ohio legislature says it, that makes it so. I guess that means that in any future green energy bill where utilities are required to generate their their energy from green energy sources, natural gas will be allowed. It, it's crazy. This is it's absurd. crazy. And yet you haven't heard from Matt Huffman yet that he's going to stop this, that he's going to be the voice of reason and say, no, we're not Orwellian. We're, we use common sense here. You know, you have senators that reach out now and then to say, you know, you guys are too hard on us. We're trying to do good work here. Yeah, really? You're going to call natural gas green energy? You're out of your minds. You deserve all of the ridicule that people give you if you proceed down this path. Now, what about the state parks? Well, so since, and I do want to address that, I said it, it do feel like the legislature is trying to change science here. This isn't just a definition that's in the Ohio Revised Code. It's them saying, we don't believe in science. And that's scary. (laughs) And it passed out of committee five to one. The lone Democrat obviously voted no. So I don't see a whole lot of pushback here. But since 2011, state law has granted agency the ability to lease out their land 
for oil and gas production and exploration. But the amendment that they adopted on Tuesday would require state agencies to lease their land to applicants seeking to drill instead of just allowing. So that means anybody who wants to drill automatically has the right to. And the kind of explanation we got for this was that it's really hard to, you're tied up in red tape to get the approval in the first place. But shouldn't that be the case? These are state state parks. parks. We are preserving this land for the good of the environment and the people of Ohio who want to use them for recreation. They've become whores to the energy lobby. I mean, this we yeah. saw it in for, in what First Energy did with HB6. And here they are in the lame duck. Somebody's phone is ringing. Here we are in the lame duck. And, and not only are they going against science, deeming natural gas green energy, which is cuckoo, but they're basically going to allow state parks to be defiled. Mike DeWine has spent his entire first term championing state parks. We've created new ones, and now we're just going to let derricks go in and start drilling holes in them? I, I, I just don't get this, how they can look at us in a straight face. There should be a big stack of dunce caps when they walk into their chamber. They should be required to wear them. I I want to hear Mike DeWine's thoughts on this because he has been very vocal and proud about his what he's put into state parks. And I also want to know how much money the natural gas industry is giving to the Republicans proposing this. I mean, that, that's the next step, right? Both both legally and maybe illegally, right? I mean, it's like what what well, is in their campaign too, funds yeah. and what don't we see? Because as we know from HB6, at least one utility wasn't a, a, above paying bribes. This it, it, is crazy. And and it's going through almost without comment. I mean, we're commenting, but but clearly they're not. Uh, and they all voted for it. Everybody who voted for this has just voted against common sense. They're they're they're, they're you know, black is white, up is down. It's just it's crazy what they're doing here. And where is the outrage to say, no, that's not green energy. You can't do that. I I want to see the outrage. I mean, this just came up. There was very little public notice. They added it onto a bill about poultry sales and food safety. So I hope we're going to see people come out today and in the coming weeks. But remember, this is lame duck. They're trying to pass this and get this through by the end of the year. There's not a lot of time here. And people are preoccupied with Christmas shopping and, you know, the end of the year things. I want to see what people say. Yeah. It's today in Ohio. Even opponents of transgender students playing high school sports blanched at the idea of general examinations on demand for players. So it's not a surprise that the provision is now gone from a bill going through the Ohio legislature. Lisa, how else has this bill changed since we last discussed it? There have been quite a few amendments to House Bill 151. The original bill is to ban transgender women athletes from participating in high school girls sports. So the bill was amended to remove that provision that required a genital exam by a physician if an athlete's gender is called into question. Nobody liked that. Supporters, opponents, that's just a terrible thing. Uh, So what they decided to do is use a birth certificate instead if, if, you know, issues come Come up. College sports are no longer included in this bill, and they also eliminated the ability for other athletes to sue in civil court if they feel they've been deprived of athletic opportunity by a transgender athlete. Uh, supporters of this bill say that, you know, transgender women have 
uh, more muscle strength, physical advantages over their biological female opponents. And, you know, they're also saying that, you know, opponents are saying, well, this is just a, you know, a bill that's just inflaming the culture wars. So this amended bill was approved by the Senate Primary and Secondary Education Committee. They haven't voted yet on sending it to the full Senate. That should be coming soon. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine weighed in and he said that, honestly, this is an issue for a non-government entity. He pointed to the Ohio High School Athletic Association, which already has policies on transgender athletes. Yeah, I, I, I thought when we talked about this a week or two ago, I think we had a headline that says this won't be passed this session, that they're going to start over in the next session. And I guess the sponsors didn't like that. So they're trying to make it more palatable. The original one was so outrageous that everybody was was uh, screaming about it. Uh so I'm surprised that we're talking about it again and that it is moving, but you said it has not been scheduled for a bigger vote. So maybe it's not. That's correct. And I think that the last day for the legislature is, is like next week. So isn't it? Well, so. when Bill Seitz talked to us in his condescending tone earlier in the week, <laughs> he, I, I think he did say they were going, they're planning to finish up on December 14th or 15th. So yes, it would be next week. We'll have to see. I, I, I like the fact that they were pushing it forward to next year to have a full throated debate about it. That, that seemed like the right thing to do with something that's so politically charged. So the fact that this suddenly popped up and they're rushing it through by trying to make it somewhat more acceptable is a change of direction. Look at you giving them credit for trying to do the right thing. <laughs> but, you know, I, and we have to point out, too, though, that there's not like a wave of transgender athletes in high school sports. I mean, only in this particular school year, only four trans females have been approved to play to date. Only 15 rulings have been issued since 2015. Seven of them have been at the high school level, eight of them at the middle school level. So it's not like there's a wave of transgender athletes, as some may be thinking. Yeah, this legislature loves to solve things that are not really problems. It's today in Ohio. We've talked about photo voter IDs. We've talked about drop boxes. Now, what are the Ohio Republican state lawmakers doing to further restrict the way state residents vote by mail? And do they offer a good reason for doing it? Courtney. Yeah, speaking of things that we're likely to see maybe going through in the lame duck session here, you know, Republican lawmakers are looking to change the timeline around mail-in ballots. Right now, mail-in ballots can be counted as long as they're postmarked the day before the election and arrive within 10 days. Um, this this new change that was working its way through a Senate committee yesterday would, would tighten that window. The mail-in ballots would have to be received by 7.30 p.m. on election day when the polls close in order to be counted. And you know, the, the committee chair, Senator Teresa Gavarone, she's from the Toledo area. She's, she said that forcing Ohioans to wait days for, for results only serves to sow distrust and doubt in our election. And, and, and that's kind of the motivator, she said, that's behind these changes. And we'll have to see if, if they go through, you know, both the House and Senate are working on different election changes and those bills will have to be melded together. But yeah. I don't I don't know that this is an issue. <laughs> well, the problem with this is it relies on the post office. And as we've reported, they don't have enough people to deliver the mail. In my neighborhood, there was no mail delivery from Wednesday of last week 
until Monday of this week that they delivered packages, but the letter mail wasn't delivered. They don't have enough people to do it. And that's happening more and more frequently. We've seen it everywhere. So, so at a time when the post office is having trouble delivering the mail, reducing the number of days after which you can get your vote counted really makes it much more difficult for people. And my bet is, is if we looked, we would find that the people most likely to push those deadlines are Democrats because everything this legislature and our secretary of state do seems to be aimed at reducing the Democratic vote. This is another solving a problem that's not a problem, but it's really an insidious way of reducing the ability of people to vote. Yeah. And and like you were saying, the Democrats called it just that uh, these are changes are unnecessary and, and, you know, they're saying this measure would fail to address a real problem uh, and, and just put more hurdles in front of voters. I mean, people must postmark it the day before the election. I don't I guess I don't know why this at all is an issue here. It's not, but it, it's aimed at, at reducing the ability to vote. Another banner day in the legislature. It's today in Ohio. The scandal brewing at Metro Health about the former CEO secretly awarding himself $2 million in bonuses has people wondering about possible other financial irregularities. How is the Cuyahoga County Council trying to safeguard the tax money that goes to the hospital system, Laura? They're going to parcel it out a little more slowly this year, so or next year, really, in the budget. So it's $32 million the county gives annually. It's health and human services taxes. We have two of those levies in the county, and they're going to only give three months worth until they feel sure that it's going to be handled correctly. They want to hear from the new CEO, Erica Steed, before they give out any more money. By the way, Metro Health did not ask for the extra $7 million it had planned to for next year. So I guess they thought it's probably not the best time to ask for more money. I was really glad to see this. Uh, Everybody has been rocked by what happened here. And they just did a billion dollar expansion, which makes people start to wonder about the contracts that are awarded and other things that, that a serious audit is needed here. And I imagine even the board that trusted Akram Boutros is rocked and having the same questions. So I was very impressed that the county council, they were good. They said, look, we plan on giving you the money. Mm-hmm. We know you need the money, but we got to safeguard the taxes. We're the ones that collect these taxes. You got to come show us how you're protecting the dollars. And I, I like you saw it, the comments from the different council people all all doing the right thing, not fiery, not inflammatory. Just this is our job, guys. We got to do our job. So it's a very positive step. Absolutely. And so these levy dollars are part of this $220 million in uncompensated care that Metro Health provides. Roughly 75% of patients are on Medicare, Medicaid, or are uninsured, which is huge, obviously. And the council said they're going to be watching the health system a little more closely. Like, I think everyone will be watching the health system a little more closely. Yeah. What we have up to now is a kind of a broken system. You have a board that is not full-time. It's not their full-time job that is overseeing it. And you you just don't feel like there was any kind of auditing function going on here. Somebody somewhere had to know what was happening. Akron Boutros didn't write his own checks. 
they got to get safeguards in place so that nothing like this can ever happen again. And the county council is saying that we want to see the safeguards before we give you more than the first quarter of money. A good sign. We bang those guys all the time for how they squander our tax dollars. It's nice to see a move to try and protect some of them. It's today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We could see a marijuana legalization question on the ballot in Ohio next year. Lisa, how is that likely to work out in Northeast Ohio with the voters? I think it would pass. And unfortunately, as you know, you know, they tried to get it on the November ballot for this year, but there were some weird technicalities that kept it off the ballot. Um, so the, the, the uh, push continues. So this is another trove of data from the Baldwin-Wallace University poll that was commissioned by us, um, 504 people from seven greater Cleveland counties. So when you're looking at legal, full legalization of marijuana, um, it's interesting that almost every demographic that we looked at was over 50% in support, and in most cases, well over 50%. The only ones that were below 50% were people who identified as Republican, only 45% support it. Conservatives say, you know, only 45% of them are, you know, in support of legalized marijuana. And then if you look at people over 65 years of age, you know, that's only 47% support there. So men and women support full legalization in about equal numbers. If you look at age demographics, the support is stronger in 18 to 49, about 62%. And then from 50 to 64, it drops to 57%. And then like I said, 65 and over at only 47%. If you look at race, um, 65% of black people surveyed are in support. Also 60% of non-white slash black people are in support and white folks, 55% in support. And if you look at income, the lowest earners, those $50,000 a year and less are more likely to support full legalization versus those 50,000 and up. So pretty interesting uh, stuff. So yeah, I think if we had had it in November, it probably would have passed. And hopefully it'll be on the ballot next year. They're trying to push for that. So we'll see what happens. I don't know why the legislature doesn't just do it. We're surrounded by states that have legalized it. It's the trend. It's a it's a cash cow for the state. There's a lot of taxes they can collect on it. And if they pass it, they craft it so they could put in safeguards and things. If if it goes to the ballot, they don't get to design it. So if it's coming anyway, just do it. Just get it done, get it set up and and be ready to go. The apparatus is in place already with medical marijuana. Uh, it, it just seems like folly that they're not acting on this. Yeah, it does. And, you know, we talked earlier in the podcast, like, I think last week, about there's a bill to expand medical marijuana usage for any patients whose symptoms can reasonably be expected to be relieved. So, you know, that's far beyond the 22 conditions that are that are legal right now. So they're kind of like, you know, setting the stage for full legalization. They just need to pull the trigger. 
Well, and if they're worried about legalizing a drug, they could just redefine what marijuana is and say it's an herb. I mean, if they're going to redesign <laughs> natural gas. Organic groceries. Right, just just redefine it. That's the way through. It's green. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. Cleveland's lead problem is mainly with old paint in city houses, but it also has lead in water lines. What is the city planning to do to begin remediating that issue? Courtney, it's a much bigger issue for us with the lead paint, which there's a lot of efforts on, but this is lurking. Yeah, and, and Cleveland water officials in discussing this are quick to point out Cleveland water is safe to drink. Um, you know, the, the the utility treats for lead in the water. So even though it hasn't used installed new lead service lines since the 50s, you know, it doesn't want people worried about the quality of their water. They use chemicals to treat the lead. But that being said, it is still lurking out there, right? And it's still lead touching stuff we interact with every day. So there is just a ton of money coming down to the states through that bipartisan infrastructure law that passed Congress last year. A hundred or $1.5 billion slated to go out around the country. $355 million over the next five years is headed into Ohio for distribution by the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency. And, and Cleveland's looking for a big chunk of that allocation here next year. They are seeking and are likely to receive almost $20 million to start replacing lead service lines around its uh, Cleveland water service area. So the city's going to go after similar sums of money each of the next four years. We'll see how many lead service lines they can get out with this effort. Right now, the year money, year one money, is expected to take out 4,000 lead service lines. Um, and there's still going to be about 135,000 left over when this is done. So these efforts will probably be ongoing for years. Wow, that's a long, long-term project. Uh, I, but like you said, the water doesn't leach the lead out. What happened in Flint was they changed water sources and it started to pull the lead into the water, which really was quite dangerous for them. We don't have that problem, but get the lead out so that it never does become a problem. And it seems like they're focused on it. Yeah. And it seems like Cleveland Water's really trying to be, at least through council hearings I sat through, they're trying to be smart. All this money is going to be pouring in from D.C., right? They wanted to have pieces and contracts and materials in place so they can really take advantage of this money. They haven't decided which lead service lines are going to be taken out yet, but they're hoping to target areas where there's still lead on both the homeowner side and then their side connecting up to the water main so they can get a little bit more bang for their buck and get more lead out of the community quicker. Yeah, the Cleveland Water Division is one of the the high points of city government. It's been that way since Julius Choch took it over, man, it must be 20 years ago now, and it very well run, high quality water. They've done the maintenance. Things generally work pretty well, so it's good to see them getting ahead. It's today in Ohio. The City Club of Cleveland is more than a century old, but it does not own the site of its forums, even though that building is called the City Club Building. Now they're moving. Lisa, where to? 
They're basically just moving a few blocks east down Euclid. Uh, their current location is at 850 Euclid. That's been their home for the last four decades. They're moving next year to 1317 Euclid Avenue after renovations at that new location are complete. Uh, so this uh, will be 50% larger than their current capacity. So they will able to have you know larger events and host national speakers. It's 14,000 square feet. There's a library, offices, and a conference room. And also, because it's in Playhouse Square, officials are saying they can actually use nearby Playhouse Square venues if more space is needed for a very large event. Um, This is the sixth location for the City Club of Cleveland. They were established in 1912. Yeah, the Playhouse Square is the happening neighborhood. Just last night, Dixon Eaton announced it's moving there into a building that we actually looked at as a possible home for our newsroom. Uh, But it seems like the one thriving neighborhood right now in Cleveland is Playhouse Square. It buzzes because of the theaters, the restaurants do well, and everybody wants to be there, including us. So uh, good news for the City Club. It's today in Ohio. What is disgraced former Cleveland City Councilman Ken Johnson's argument as he makes his case for a shorter sentence for fleecing the taxpayers? Every time we talk about him, I almost call him Johnston. Usually you actually do. I, I didn't today. I, Courtney. You did not today. Yeah, the former city councilman, you know, his attorneys are appearing before a federal judge in Cincinnati this morning trying to get time shaved off the six years he was given. You know, they make a variety of arguments about why Johnson should be sprung loose a little sooner. Um, You know, one of the points of contention here is Johnson's team is arguing that prosecutors shouldn't have been allowed to insinuate that he committed campaign finance fraud during trial. That was not one of the charges he was convicted on. Um, You know, some of the argument revolves around some like junk cars that Johnson believed were, you know, classic cars and valued much higher than they actually were. You know, in, in, in some of the arguments um, also circle around the judge's decision to prevent the jury during Johnson's trial from seeing a letter written by the city's former law director that that basically okayed Johnson Johnson's plan to have his adopted sons work for a community development corporation that he was funding with council and city money. You know, there's a variety of other legal arguments here, but, you know, the, the the U.S. attorneys who are serving as prosecutors on this case are dismissing these issues, saying that they were correctly ruled on by the judge during the course of the trial. And, and you know, even if there were a couple issues here and there, the prosecutors argue they're what those issues, not enough to overcome the overwhelming evidence in the case that put Johnson behind bars. Yeah, I mean, they, they should increase the sentence, not decrease it. This guy fleeced the taxpayers for years, lied to everybody about it, and, and continued doing it even when it became evident that that there was a microscope looking at him. I, it's The cars thing was a joke. He's trying to say, the whole, all of this was was clearly litigated and he was convicted. I, I'll be shocked if he can get his sentence reduced uh, and I'm still a little bit surprised it was as light as it was for the depravity of his corruption. Yeah, he he, he pocketed $127,000 over the course of eight years, underpaid taxes, steered money to that development corporation. He's he's yeah. convicted of 15 charges here. Yeah, I, I'll be surprised if this is successful. It's today in Ohio. 
The Pro Football Hall of Fame people keep trying to make the place more of a landmark tourist attraction. Laura, what's the latest project to get started down in Canton? I'm so glad you gave me this question because it is a water park and I love a water park. I used to joke that's why I had kids because it would be really (laughs) weird for a grown woman to go to a water park by herself. I had not heard that before. That's an interesting, (laughs) but completely in keeping with your personality. Absolutely. So the the goal is to draw visitors year round to this complex and the $100 million water park would do that with a hotel. That's the last two pieces of phase two. They believe it's going to be the country's only football-themed water park. I would argue with the emphasis on football in the United States, it's probably the only one in the world. It would cover 147,000 square feet with a slide tower, lazy river, wave pool, swim-up bar, and outdoor entertainment area. And they would hope about a million people would show up every year. And it could open in 2024 as the, the latest attraction in that conglomeration of stuff they're putting in Canton. You know, we talk all the time about how people go to Cedar Point, and it's a Mm -hmm. regular topic. Anytime they change something out there, we talk about it because so many people travel to that. This is about the same distance away for a lot of people in Northeast Ohio, but you don't hear the same fervor for people going down there. Do you think a water park is the kind of attraction they need to become more permanently etched into our recreational brains? It depends how good the water park is. I mean, Sandusky has three great water parks. They have Great Wolf Lodge, Kalahari, and the Cedar Point one is Castaway Bay. So I think that's really well known to people. This And and Columbus has, I think, probably its own as well, and then Cincinnati. So it's going to have to differentiate itself. Obviously, it's the football-themed water park, but it will be great for families. It will be year-round, something to do in the winter. So I, I hope it works. They, they have a whole bunch of new restaurants that have already said they're coming and some have opened. There's going to be Don Shula's American Kitchen. There's going to be a brew kettle and Top Golf. I don't know if it's a full-on giant Top Golf or not. Um, custom ice cream sandwiches. So, I mean, they're trying a lot of things. It's it's not as grand as I think the one time Disneyland idea where they were going to have like the sky boxes, you know, in the air. But they are putting the IX Center Amusement Park uh, Ferris wheel down there. So well, lots the, of stuff. I mean, look, you have to have a grand vision if you're going to change the culture of, of a ge- local geography. And they really have invested that time in the vision. Now the question is, once they have it all there can they steer people's attentions there? Do you start thinking, yeah, we need to do something with the kids this weekend. Let's drive down to Canton. Because that that's the only way it works is if they need to draw from a big region, you know, once a year, every other year, you head over there and you spend your recreational money and they're trying to make it that way. But does that work? And it's funny because we used to joke in Akron that, you know, from Akron to Cleveland was a half hour. And from Cleveland to Akron, is like an hour and a half, right? Like people in Cleveland do not drive south on 77. It's not that far, though. I mean, how it's far? It's really not that I mean, far. Canton from Cleveland proper is probably, what, 70 minutes maybe? Yeah, I would say that's probably fair. And once you get out of Cuyahoga County, you can, you know, go a whole five miles an hour faster on 77. <laughs> All right. Well, we wish him well. It's today in Ohio. That's it for Wednesday. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Thursday to talk about the news.